I'm going to be very candid with you. We are living in a computer program. Welcome, everyone, to Simulation Nation, your portal to all things virtual. I'm your host, Johnny Android, and I'm here to keep you informed about all that's happening in the metaverse. We record our episodes live in Altspace almost every week, and you can join us from your PC or VR headset. Just log into Altspace, join our Simulation Nation channel, and teleport in to offer your opinion, question, or whatever else. Today, we're going back to 1999 and revisiting the simulation movie to end all simulation movies, the original Matrix. If you haven't yet been red-pilled, well, then you're trapped in the desert of the real, and that's not a good place to be, so go watch the movie. Joining us are two very special guests. The first is Simulation Nation's Council of the Wise member and co-founder of InScape Studios, Matt Sinclair. And Thank the second you. is, I'm going to butcher this, Steve Stroch? Stroch? Gross, Steve Scross, who is a frequent collaborator with the Wachowskis and who storyboarded, storyboarded all four Matrix movies, including the new one. I'm super excited to get his unique perspective on the entire series and maybe give us some spoilers for the new one. Uh, yes. <laughs> that should be fine. Matt, <laughs> exactly. Steve, about, welcome. About how, Matt, I didn't realize you were promoted to full council member. I don't know that this happened in my absence as well. So I'm just, I'm very pleased. I'm, I'm holding back tears at the moment about Council that. Of the wise. You know, if you, if you've been on at least three episodes of the podcast, you're an automatic member. Wow. And, and if you like it or not, you're kind of you just, <laughs> just appropriate you. And now you're, yeah. you're, are there fees that I have to pay to be on the council? Or fees no? will be paid to you based oh, wow, on the okay. amount of wisdom that okay. you bring to the council. All right. Well, I'll do my very best. Anyway. Yeah. So who yeah. No, that, they wouldn't believe the amount of dream catchers these two guys have hanging behind them. <laughs> so many dream catchers. I'm going to dox all of us and I'm going to show this on YouTube just to prove that we don't have any dream catchers. Not that I'm opposed to dream catchers, but. I love dream catchers. There you go. I'm going to go and get one real right. soon. Um, this is exciting. I've, I've known Steve for a long time and of course have uh, broken down and asked him questions about the matrix. Um, through that time, but never really had a chance to have a dedicated, you know, matrix deep dive jam down and just really fan out. So this is, this is exciting for me. Yeah. It's uh, uh, part of, part of being a full fledged member of the council. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. 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 Yeah, no, I'm super excited as well. I, you know, I was, I was like scouring through my old comic book collection. I tried to find something. I think I have this, I don't think this is you, but this is the cable. You worked on cable at some point. Yeah, uh, you, my first Marvel. Well, not my first, but. Yeah. Well, well, we'll have to get into that. But my brother who is like the, the biggest uh, comic book fan, he's like, you got to get his autograph. I'm like, we're on zoom, dude. I can't, I can't be getting any autographs, but anyway, uh, you're among fans here and, uh, yeah, I'm super stoked to, like, to meet you. Like, and it's like a $2 value you're talking about there. <laughs> the $2 value of cable. Yeah. <laughs> my autograph. Oh, your autograph. Oh, cool. I wish. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Okay. Cool. Well, It'll go up. It's going to go up after this podcast. It's going to be. It's going to be at least up to four, four fifty, maybe. Well, once you once you make an NFT out of it and we hang it in our metaverse yeah. uh, location, everyone will be buying it then. So you know, I'm going to do an NFT right like the day NFTs collapse. <laughs> That's the day I'll be getting in on that. Yeah. Any day I think now, that may so. have already happened. I think yeah, any day now. Pretty much exactly. already happened. Yeah. 
exactly. Um, okay, so we're going to start at the beginning, but let me give, I, I found a quote online. I'm just going to try to embarrass you as much as possible. Um, so the quote is uh, from Carrie Ann Moss. She says, after reading the script, uh, she did not believe of the matrix. She did not believe uh, she had um, the extreme acrobatic actions as described in the script to be able to do the movie. Uh, she also doubted if the Wachowskis would get to direct a movie with a budget so large. But after spending an hour with them going through storyboard after storyboard, she understood why some people would trust them. And of course you were heavily involved in those storyboards. So we're going to uh, go all the way back to the beginning to find out how you got involved and what you've been doing uh, before and since, because um, just, you know, to give people a bit of a primer, you're kind of like the Forrest Gump of comics. Like you've literally been in every era and you've been involved with some incredible projects and, you know, Brian Vaughn uh, from, you know, why the last man and Clive Barker, of Hellraiser fame and Wachowski's Rob Liefeld, created Deadpool, a whole bunch of people. And so we're going to, we're going to get into all that. That's a little, a uh, little primer. Yeah. He's worked with Alan Moore. He worked with Alan Moore. Whoa. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Wow. Or I'm just like an idiot who stumbles upon I, yeah, yeah. Other, other people of greatness, you know? Well, um, I think, I think obviously uh, greatness finds greatness. So we're uh, comic fans out there. I like to refer to myself as I'm kind of the Rick Jones if uh, anyone has ever read, uh, that's probably too too deep a cut. But uh, who's Rick Jones again? I'm looking Rick it up Jones right now. Like like this normal guy who used to like hang around with the Avengers. Oh <laughs> like, wow! You know, like everyone would be doing cool stuff, yeah. and Rick Jones would just be like this normal person who was. Hanging they should make a Rick Jones series. I would like to see I mean, that. <laughs> yeah, it probably is. If got there. If they're making Squirrel Glad or whatever they're doing, they're going to be making that, I'm sure. We got a big IP library over there. Marvel. Holy. We're yeah. going to get all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So why don't we why don't we start at the beginning? How did you how did you break into comics and um, and how did you you know how did you cut your chops and get you know get started? Well, in the I broke in in the '90s and there was a gigantic comic boom. Uh, back then, there was just an absolute glut of material. And so if you could sort of hold a pencil, you, you could get a gig. And I was like 18. And uh, back then, you know, this is pre obviously pre-internet. So you would literally have to drive to what you would do is you drive down to San Diego uh, for the big Comic-Con down there, which at that time was mostly comics. And you'd wait in line with your little uh, Xeroxes of your work and try to show them to editors and whatnot. And uh, hopefully they would remember you and uh, give you a call when they needed uh, a fill and when they wanted to try someone new out. And that's what happened to me. Um, and uh, so the first comic I got offered, Clyde Barker did this long. He wanted to get in on that uh, that sweet comic money. From the, that, uh, right? <laughs> right. So he had his own four concepts that he, you know, uh, created and then were handed off to uh, different different comic book creative teams and I was paired off originally I was paired off with this writer uh, James Robinson who quit quit the comic after um, uh, two issues for greener pastures but it kind of worked out for me because the replacement was the Wachowskis and uh, mm. they were just kind of you know they'd just written the, the first script this thing called Assassins that ultimately mm -hmm. uh, Stallone I think yeah. it was uh, Richard Donner directed it and uh, Stallone was uh, in it with Banderas. Yep. 
And uh, so, yeah, and then after that, they did, um, so that, that was kind of happening for them at the same time they were doing this comic book, Ecto Kid, um, that Barker had come up with. And we just kind of hit it off and we're friendly and we had kind of met at these comic book um, themed shows and uh, had a friendly rapport. So it was there right from the beginning and they, you know, you know, a year or whatever goes by and they come up with the concept of the matrix and, oh no, they, they do bound first, pardon me. And uh, they offered that to me and I was drawing some Marvel comic at the time. I didn't want to leave the uh, rock solid earth of, of comic books for the flash in the pan movie industry. So I said, no. And they were like, oh, Steve, you're so dumb. Why did you do that? But then a couple of years, then, but then a couple of years later, they, uh, they sold the, the matrix to Joel Silver, the script for that. And uh, the entire time I worked on the original movie, it was never green lit. And, and every time I finished it, it was always like a, um, you know, it wasn't going to be made. It was like every time I finished my, uh, tour two or three months on it um you know they always got bad news and it didn't really get green lit until like I don't know, a year or so after i had actually done my last tour of it i think it was like three or four tours they bring me out to la to get a tiny bit of development money and i would just do drawings for them in a um, hotel room and uh you know and i'm really young like i'm like 20 years old or something and uh i think they just liked liked me you know um I guess I had a guileless charm or something. You still do. <laughs> it's the yeah, it's the Canadian charm, of course. And, so, uh, and the Steve charm. Um, okay, yeah, so, so before you before you before you go on, so so you're so because I've always heard this rumor, and you're going to clear this up for once and for all. And the the legend was that they wrote the Matrix after Assassins, but couldn't get it financed, and then they said, "Okay, go make a little small budget movie." Uh, and then we'll see how that goes. And then if we like it, we'll finance the matrix. So the legend was that they had written the matrix already, but then they had to go make bound to prove their directing chops. And then they came back to the matrix. Can you dispel that forever? Yeah, we totally, I can't quite remember. Uh, that might have been possible, but I feel like there was bound. Maybe that's what happened, but, um, what 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 state was the creative in when you came on? Did they have a script or was it all fully? Yeah, they written? had a script and they had sold it, and they were trying to get development money for it. So they, you know, the first part of all this kind of you do some drawings and have some artwork made up, and so they brought me out to illustrate a few scenes, and so I would go out. You know, like I said, I was in this hotel room and they would be out doing meetings all day or whatever. And I've been, you know, watching MTV and, and doing drawing. They brought in a drawing table and they had this assistant come and buy me art supplies. And I'd just be in this like cool uh, LA hotel room. And, uh, um, and so ultimately what happened is, so they the first time we're out there and, uh, you know, they do some drawings, they go in for a big meeting and everyone says, no, no, no. And, um, then I'm sent home and then like six months goes by and then they get a little bit, they get a bunch more money. And this time they got uh, actual office space. They got to hire this great cartoonist, Jeff Darrow, who's a um, very well-known uh, artist um, who's famous for his detail and his, uh, you know, um, sense of design. And he sort of created the look of the machine world and all the machines and the Sentinels. And uh, these, you know, Tani Kunitaki, this other legendary, uh, uh, movie artist and Colin Grant, another storyboard artist. And then they created this giant book 
if you get a giant coffee table book, because what was really hard in script form, this is like 96 or something too. Like, so it's nineties movies and these, this matrix is like a little ahead of the curve, a lot ahead mm -hmm. of the curve, like just the idea of like virtual reality and what that would be like was the, the pinnacle of that at that time was lawnmower man, you know? Right. So, uh, they would go into these meetings and they, you know, with like Terry Semmel, like the head of borders at the time, they'd, they'd be like, so how do these guys get from like the city from the, to the sewer? How are they, how's that happening? And right. uh, so they did these drawings to actually show like, oh, these guys, you know, it's all happening in their head. They get these things stuck in the back. Right? So they had all this material. And so they would take, so they created this giant book and each um, scene would uh, be like a key moment in the story, you know, kind of a trailer moment in the story that would, that would describe something or show a cool out what the action would be like. And they would have these like, uh, before each one, they would have a sort of this black card before each sequence. So when you would flip through it, there would be like, like a key line in white, you know, a key uh, dialogue line. And that would kind of, and then you would flip the page and that would start the, the sequence. And we did the storyboards kind of in a more of a graphic novel way. So they would sort of, uh, you know, there was a sense of, it wasn't just frames. It would be like big panels and small panels. And uh, so it had more of an entertaining reach. You could actually flip through it and uh, you would, it would be more of a, an entertaining experience than just like, you know, some storyboards can be, you know, it's almost like reading matrix code for, for some people if they haven't, if they're not used to it. Um, Right. And is that the uh, is that the art of the matrix book? Like, is that the where that art? art? Of the, that's interesting. The art of the matrix book, uh, the design and approach to that was based on this original book they had made for the executives. So that book actually has the the black page with the white type that has the the key line, and I think they might actually be the same uh, lines of dialogue for. But the matrix book was much bigger, so I'm sure they expanded on that. But uh, but I think with one talent they have is. They know how to, they're really good at, um, you know, convincing people and sort of getting people's spirits up about something and convincing them how awesome it was, you know, and they're, they're kind of, you can go into a room and, uh, um, you know, the, like famously one of the stories is that they would, they, they went into this meeting and you know that you you deal with the bean counters and they go well this movie is like event horizon and johnny mnemonic so it's going to make this amount of money and so we can only give it this much budget and but they'll have but then they would have like some sort of response to that we're like okay fine but when i walked down this hallway they would point to all you know all the all in, in warner brothers or any movie house or any uh, executive uh, office you'll go into uh, there's all these posters of all the hits, you know, all these uh, films that are like, uh, you know, iconoclastic and like bro broke the mode and they would point to those. I go, you know, none of your, you know, uh, uh, algorithms or theories or whatever could explain the success of any of these movie poster movies that we pass, pass by on the way into this room. And, you know, you can hear like the music crying and everyone <laughs> getting worked up. So they were really good at doing that kind of, uh, that kind of thing. And I think that, that's part of what convinced people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, eventually, you know, they, uh, you know, they're really good at budgets and the, uh, it's planning is what it is. They're, they're, they're experts at that. They, they don't ever walk on a set and go, you know, don't wait. No one wastes it. They never waste a day trying to figure out what they're going to do. You know, they can kind of, uh, everything is, is pretty figure out. Um, and I would say even now, jump ahead 
the way that Lana works now is uh, <clears throat> they're fat. They can do this stuff super quickly. They they know how to uh, be improvisational and and still they, they can kind of uh, figure out what's going to happen and and do it super accurately uh, mm. in a way I don't think a lot of filmmakers can. Mm. That's especially um, unusual for like a direct for an effects heavy movie being able to be that like fluid is uh, in terms of how you shoot. That's got to take a level of really deep understanding of the processes, you know? So, wow, that's cool. Yeah, deep understanding the process, exactly. And so they know how to allocate resources super effectively. And uh, yeah, I know that, I don't want to like, I know that that's the case with the new one. Uh, I know that the executives at, at Warner's were, were pretty blown away at how how quickly they were able to capture what they got. Um, and if you've seen the new trailer, it all looks pretty badass. And I haven't seen the movie yet, but. I've seen uh, some clips and stuff, and yeah, it is pretty badass. Um, yeah, so. So, so yeah. I'm, I'm wondering how, like, uh, you know, we only are, as a general, you know, movie going on, I just know them as the Wachowskis. How would you differentiate them? Do they Are they like the Coens where they just are, one is, is more the directing force, one is the prusorial force, or are they mind-melded so that they, uh, you know, are one and the same, or... Well, it's funny, you know, when I would work, when it was both of them, it seemed pretty, it was 50-50, you know, like they would bring me in for my meeting, we would sit down and uh, yeah, it was pretty much coming from both of them. And uh, at that point, um, when I was talking to them together, it felt like they had, uh, they'd already settled everything that they were working on together. And so for me, they would disseminate information very clearly and easy and especially in those early days. Keep in mind, I had never <clears throat> storyboarded anything before and they pretty much brought me in and they kind of just wanted someone who would uh, who would kind of do what they said and would be eager to, in a way they sort of held my hand and, uh, um, you know, and I, I just tried to make whatever they told me to do as dynamic as possible. Well, yeah, it's, it's so, it's so funny because when I, when I was, when I saw the, the movie, I just remember thinking it was so striking uh, visually and so dynamic, exactly that word with a lot of foreground action and background in it. It felt very comic book to me. So I, for some reason, I think I, I read about them and I was like, oh, they came from the comic book world. Clearly they were the ones, the artists who came up with all these shots. And so I obviously gave all of them all the credit for thinking, oh, they must have done all their own art. And here we are, you know, uh, the mastermind behind the masterminds here, the wizard well, behind the sheet. More credit. Especially in those early days, uh, I could say like in later films, I contributed more. But really, when it came to The Matrix, it really was all them. And I was sort of just a, an instrument because I was like, you know, not to diminish my myself but you know i had to be honest i was you know a 20 year old kid i didn't even know what you know what uh you know breaking the, the uh crossing the line meant or uh you know i really had no you know uh i had no real approach or i wasn't really thinking in a film i didn't have a filmmaking mindset yet i was still just a kind of a uh jobber comic book artist who just wanted to draw the x-men Right. And yeah. Fell into but, thing. And just to talk you up though a little bit though, because when you talk about wanting to make the images as striking as possible, it, you do feel when you're watching the Matrix as though the frames are designed to look good, not even as movie frames. They're just great images. You know what I mean? And they happen to kind of work within cinema language, like obviously, but they are just 
yeah, each of them. They're all just like, but you know, there's just so many good shots in that movie, you know? Well, composition is something that is really something that I'm sure they got from comics because that's something you, if all the best cartoonists are really, you know, because you you're dealing, it's different than storyboards because you're dealing with um, uh, comics. It's like you've got so much less real estate. Your job is almost, in a movie, you're trying to figure out all the coverage. How many shots do you need to tell the story? Or in a comic, it's almost like, how can I tell the story with as little shots as possible? You know, how can I create a strong composition that will um, show a lot of, a, a big chunk of story, you know, um, if that makes any kind of sense. Yeah, like you're trying to condense the narrative into as few images as possible. And yeah, that's got to be... Yeah. It's like all, you're doing all keyframes in a way, you know? Mm, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, there are a lot of comics that, and, and in fact, I think that's kind of a, what's hurt comics in a lot of ways is they've gotten more cinematic, so you get less... Uh, you know, the, the runtime of a comic book is, it feels short because it's like playing out like a storyboard a lot of the time. Uh, but anyway, um, but they were good at that. And the other thing they came up with is they figured they, they brought Keanu and he was interested. And I don't know if he'd had a lot of hits at that point, but uh, they weren't sure about him early on, but they had figured out that, uh, you know, maybe he had just come off something that wasn't a big, like non Johnny, something had underperformed and they were a little wishy-washy, but then they, they had gone and, dry you know got this the, the worldwide numbers and everything he'd ever done and f had figured out that he had never made a movie that had lost money right i guess he had done like bill and ted's he had done speed those were his two big hits right and then but then he did johnny mnemonic around that period also but that would have been after the matrix because then they were right or was it before because I, I remember they were saying it was like they had because no one was super excited but oh they had they got the guy from event horizon which is actually kind of a cool movie, but I guess it didn't perform. And Johnny Mnemonic, which at the time I don't think was a big, uh, was, was well-loved. And there might've been another one in there, but he'd been done doing some romantic movies maybe or something. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't remember what they were. There was uh, a walk on the clouds. Was that in there maybe? Uh, but anyway, they had figured that out. And ultimately they, they were able to convince these guys, uh, Terry Semmel, Lorenzo Bonaventura, that uh, you know they should they should make their movie and and they did and I think having it being made in Australia helped as well because there was less day to day interaction with <clears throat> Warner execs so less time wasting having to to explain stuff you know yeah, it was more like fax machine type scene back then right like that's kind of what I mean were people really emailing back then a lot or fax machines totally well, yeah yeah wow one of the first drawings that Jeff Darrow did because he drew the you know he created the giant power plants and so he did this you know fucking incredible drawing hand drawing in pencil uh which was even more detailed than what you uh than what you see in the movie of all the people in their pods and they and they sent the fact well let's see what this concept looks like and the facts came out and it came in and it was just a big black smear because there was so much detail and it could not. <laughs> you broke the facts. You broke That's the facts. awesome. So, yeah, go oh, ahead, man. I just got a question. I just, one thing I didn't realize was how, well, for starters, like, it sounds like, were you the first hire on the movie? I was, yeah. You were the first hire on the Matrix. That's crazy. He was the intern, but he wasn't getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> you were the first person actually paid. Um, 
And I didn't realize how much, how early your work was relative to the actual production. So I guess I'm just wondering if there is anything to say about this. Like, what was it like to have worked on this thing and done so much visualization of it and like played the movie through in your head so many times and stuff. And then, and then only later it to get picked up by these other people. And then suddenly it's this thing like, was that, what was that like to have be kind of like ahead of it by that far? Well, it was hard for me. You know, I was so young. I had nothing to compare it to. And I was such a like, you know, I was such a dumb kid, you know, like, um, like I was like, I was just amazed because they were taking me around LA and we're doing, going to cool bars and stuff. And, uh, you know, I was like, where was I? I was at the, um, Oh, shit, I can't remember the name of it, but I remember we would go down to the lobby. And, you know, Cato Kalen was was down there. <laughs> you know, Don King would be there. Huh. Uh, Spalding Gray, who I think was dead, if you even remember who he was. Uh, but so yeah, it was like one of these. It was a hot, hot spot that I had a, a, that they got me a hotel in, and uh, uh, it was just yeah, it was just blew, blew my mind. I don't That's think what... I enjoyed it enough because I was so young. I was so nervous. You know, mm. only being 20 i was like uh what's the what's that the in, imposter syndrome yeah yeah sure just like you know so it was hard was it hard to enjoy it at the time well i think i, I was just a little overwhelmed i didn't mm. you know, i would enjoy you know i did enjoy it but at the same time it was like uh it took it took a while and then it became what it became too like also i'm there every day they would come back from their meetings and it was a hard time selling the movie like i said it was a couple, it was like a couple of years almost, I think, or a year and a half before they really got their green light. And so they would come back from these meetings and you would, they would be constantly hearing from people they didn't understand what had, is going on in this thing. And uh, it was too weird. And, uh, you know, they would always come back crestfallen and be like, ah, oh, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm just thinking, well, I guess it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm not, and then it actually comes out and, you know, I'm not, and then becoming the like, coolest thing in the world, and uh, that's when I knew. That's when my my stock went up in Marvel Comics. Suddenly, mm-hmm. I uh, they were they were they were like letting me write writing uh, things, and uh, uh, I had a little bit of cachet, which I squandered, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that you were working on some pretty big books. I think back then. We we can. Do you want to go? I guess we can continue on in the career. We sort of stopped. What happened was you're at the very beginning of your career was was the Matrix, but so we sort of stopped on our journey through your uh, your career. Should we continue on? Oh sure. Uh, yeah, like I said, I was a Marvel Comics artist for you know many years, like a decade there, and uh, you know I kind of straddled those two worlds. You know, I kind of did ten years of that kind of thing, and then um, you know would jump over to, to movies and uh, spend a lot of time doing that. And, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I said, I got to do a couple cool things, you know, worked with Alan Moore on, on a couple books, but they, you know, that was the big thing that happens in the comics industry industry is a new shop will open up and then they'll fold, you know, and that's kind of what happened to this. Yeah. But did they ever hit the market or, you know, they never, yeah. you know, Rob Liefeld. Yeah. So he, you know, he was sort of a part of this big uh, revolution called Image Comics. Yeah, of course. But uh, he left there. So whatever happened, happened. He he left and started his own company with his financier. And that uh, and that was the book that I did with Alan, this thing called Youngblood, which was kind of a, mm-hmm. a reboot of uh, with all new characters, 
of, of his old comic, right? But it was with the Alan Moore, you know, sort of taking these archetypes and doing his own little spin on it. You know, uh, we had this character called, uh, his name was Captain Midnight, and, or, and Midnighter was the name of his sidekick, who was like Robin, but it was like sort of this young girl and like, you know, you know, there was like a, a, a sexual relationship was suggested. I mean, they were doing a lot of things that you could not get away with these days. Uh, but it was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, like I said, it didn't last. And so then, you know, I kind of went back to movies for a while and, uh, you know, worked on a bunch of things. A lot of things that just kind of like turned to dust, you know, that's what happens sometimes you get into, because you being a, an artist in a movie is good because you're sort of at the earliest part of production, but oftentimes, not all, sometimes those movies don't get made. At least, at least that was my experience. So I worked on a few things that went poof. Um, this like the George Miller like superhero movie yeah 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 the Justice League uh, movie with uh, Army Hammer was going to be Batman oh wow uh, which is pretty weird you know when you think about like all these tortured souls they always cast to uh, uh, play Batman you know like uh, Batfleck has his own issues you know Christian Bale we've all heard, heard, heard him go nuts on that guy on set mm -hmm. uh, and then fucking Army Hammer is like eating people or whatever the hell he's doing uh, so, <laughs> so I guess they, they good casting at Warner's. Yeah, they know how to spot the sociopaths. They're like they have a yeah. special test. They find out who they are. So they're good. Um, and then you you but you worked on all. So then you worked on the other a bunch of stuff with the Wachowskis, right? Speed Racer and um, and then uh, Part Two, Part Three. Um, that's all interspersed in there as well. Well, that was interesting. Then the Matrix comes out and it's a huge hit. Uh, what it was, you know, infects the culture. And then two and three is a completely different experience because then there's like, you got to remember this was like the, uh, before Y2K, I think it was like, or maybe it was just 2000 we're working on it. Probably, yeah, 2000, 2001. And so, yeah, there's all this money. And so they, they get to go and they, they get this like in Venice, they got to take this, this, uh, this building that they used to, uh, I guess, build boats in this huge space, and they renovate the whole thing and turn it into like uh, the the Matrix Command Center, and the whole place is like uh, themed like the Matrix. When you walk in the room, it's like uh, the lobby is just this giant white room with the two red with the two chairs from the from the scene, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, and like all the glass had like code inlaid into it, and Jesus, all this all this shit, and it's like you know. Um, just like total opulence, just like mm -hmm. to the nines, like where do we just put money wherever we can? Yeah, yeah, totally. And it was like very extravagant. It was very, it was uh, not really, the design of the place wasn't very pragmatic. So like when it really, it started to fill up with with all the production people, there weren't enough, there wasn't enough office space because a lot of it had been like designated for, uh, you know, aesthetics, uh, which is, which was funny. Um, but yeah, it was pretty cool being around during that time. It was, uh, yeah, you could you could do uh yeah it was just um yeah it was amazing it was pretty amazing that's when i really sort of like got to enjoy it because um and i don't i don't think hollywood's like that anymore i don't think uh you you have the you know they throw around the cash quite like i mean i'm sure they do sometimes but like i don't know if the storyboard guy gets to uh experience it as much you know hmm. but um but yeah that was pretty wild 
and we could stay in Venice and Santa Monica for like, and it was like a giant, super long production too. It was like a year and a half of just working on two and three. And ultimately we all got, those of us who were on it, the storyboard, at least the key artists got to go down to Sydney. And so, yeah, I got to go around the world and stuff for that. And, uh, yeah, they're great life experiences. So. I think the second one, didn't they build a freeway to do that insane yes. uh, jumping from car to car and all that kind of stuff? They just, yeah, it's just pure opulence, right? It's just like they had all the budget in the world to do everything. Um, well, that was, they went to this, um, it was like in this place called Alameda, which is just a, across the bridge in San Francisco. And it was, it's kind of a weird place. There was this military base there with these gigantic, um, I guess they would be, uh, where they would put, I, I guess they were, they, they turned them into sound stages. I guess they were for aircraft and stuff. So they were gigantic. And they also had this giant, you know, stretch of land that they built that freeway on. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, around there are these sort of abandoned barracks and whatnot. And so they would sort of take over these abandoned offices. And upstairs would be these abandoned, you'd go up there and it would just be like, you know, old bunk beds and desks and stuff from the fifties. and. Uh, you know, it, was, it was a real trip hanging around there. Yeah, yeah you could walk over to the sets and uh, you know watch them uh, <clears throat> do all those stunts and stuff. They had these after each stunt, they'd take all the demolished cars and put them in the pile. So there was like this whole section of it which was like a a, a trash, you know, kind of like car. <laughs> and you you know we'd go in there and like hang out of these you know pretend to do all these photos like we were all in, in car wrecks and stuff. But we're like hanging out of these destroyed cars. Like, <laughs> Did you work on the chase sequence from like oh, the or yeah. just yeah yeah I did yeah well, no, most of it uh, most wow of it, yeah uh, yeah it was a lot of work so so the first one you it's uh, you did um, I guess collectively what six hundred page shot by shot storyboard did, is, is that sound accurate and then for the second one was it it must have been even more than that. It is, although, you know, we never got a, a two and three art book, so it's hard to say. Like, some stuff is drawn, and then it's just kind of like, you know, doesn't fit, and so it, like, falls to the side. So, But what was interesting about it is they really wanted illustration-level, you know, they were pretty much comic book-quality storyboards for a lot of it. And I have some of them, but uh, uh, wherever they are, I'd love to, to see all of them again. But, uh, yeah, there's some stuff that never made it. There was this, this whole scene where all the, you know, where the, the Smith battle, where all the multiple Smiths are fighting Neo and they, when he flies off, they grab onto him and he's flying around with a whole chain of them, you know, behind him and they crash into this kind of Best Buy type store with all these electronics and like with all these TVs and like somehow the Smith image pops up on all the TVs and he's fighting, you know, it got a little, it got. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Maybe they ended that admittedly hyperbolic sequence uh in a better place uh without the best buy edition yeah right uh all um, oh, this is getting too expensive it's the fifth let's try to get this down to 49 million dollars this oh man. yeah yeah wow um I, okay I, I got two questions uh about the r before we move on so the first is so i'm just curious the, the collaborative process between the director and your, and yourself. So would they be like, okay, we want like a medium close-up shot of, you know, Trinity with the, you know, the agent coming in the background, it, it, would it be that specific or would they give you more freedom um, to just sort well, of. These days it'd be more like they would just tell me, you know, you know, you, you, these days we sort of sit down and, you know, uh, 
just tell me what they want and we would just you know make a shot list and do sketches and those they had sort of had it what they wanted sort of figured out and just wanted super specific drawings that were going to be the shots so they could show to everyone this is what it's going to be so that was more my job is to translate their very specific ideas so the boards and the frames look are pretty close whereas now it's kind of you know lana is definitely much looser um but like in a good way you know it's more like you know uh, this is what we're going to shoot but like depending on what happens on the day you know it right. might be a little more like this or that if that makes sense yeah totally cool um, my other question about the art, you know, the, the sort of other legend was that they were, they went to Joel Silver and they said, we want to make Ghost in the Shell, but live action. And so there was a lot of anime influence, uh, like in Hong Kong action movies, Akira, Ninja Scroll. So is that something that they filtered into uh, the storyboards as well? Or is that just a, a little bit separate from your part of the process? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. John movies, anime, you know, um, you know, you know, comics, um, what was going on at the time. And yeah, they liked the high contrast stuff. <clears throat> I mean, I know Sin City was something they liked uh, as sort of a jumping off point for Bound. I know there's a couple shots in there that were sort of inspired by that. But uh, yeah, for, for sure, for sure. Yeah, they were definitely into, yeah, like they were young at that time and they loved their comics and were comic writers. Yeah, I heard another I thing. A comic company for a little while with those guys. Yeah, what? Uh, the Wachowskis. We, me, Darrow, and the Wachowskis had a small little comic book imprint, and we put out a few books. Um, Doc Frankenstein being one, which is kind of this. Um, it was really an idea of Jeff Darrow's that's uh, that they really liked that they wrote and I drew, where it's kind of the Frankenstein monster. But like the sequel, you know, after he, he doesn't die on the ice, he winds up going to the old west and uh, becomes sort of a, uh, a bounty hunter, and ultimately becomes because he's immortal. Like you he, he realize, he's a super. He's not just super strong; he's a super genius, and uh, right. he becomes like a uh, important figure in American history. That uh, is, you know, both you know, sort of this like left-wing super uh, champion. <laughs> wow. Nice. Do you have a favorite scene in The Matrix? Probably back in the day, the thing, well, like a lot of people, I just loved the fucking lobby scene with yeah. exploding everywhere and Trinity running up that wall. Like, like at that point, no one had ever seen anything like that cool. And, uh, Yeah. So I guess that was that was probably for sure one. Um, and I guess you worked on that sequence, right? You worked on the lobby. Yeah. Like, it's sort of obvious that you would have done that. Um, for sure, yeah. I remember they, I remember coming in one day and they saw what I was doing the pillars and they were like, more, more. Apple core those things. Apple uh -huh. core those things. Yeah, that's awesome. Wow, yeah. cool. And then all the stuff, I, I always think visually also when you're later on, when they're doing the shots of the uh, helicopter and the, the shells are falling from the okay. sky and then Trinity gets, you know, cracks into the, to, to the building and then the other building ripples, like it's in a pond and then explodes. Yeah. Stuff is all yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, visual. Yeah, totally. That's, that's pretty wild. Um, that was something they said back in the day, no one really did. That was one of the tropes, the kind of matrix I think brought to movies. No one really did shells that much back then like no one really oh. them i think that i think if you look pretty closely like the way they 
where you just see the shells in slow-mo dropping around his feet, yeah. dropping from the bottom of the, from underneath the copter and stuff. It's like, yeah, I don't think anyone had really gone that far with that yet. They went so far. There's that great shot actually in that lobby sequence where it's like, I think you're following uh, Keanu kind of like below his gun and you're seeing, I think it's like legs running frame yeah. left slow-mo and the bullets are just, the shell casings are just raining down and it's, yeah. <laughs> I mean that, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty great. Um, pretty great. Yeah. Um, okay. So before we move on to, to, uh, maybe, uh, some of the later part of the, of the trilogy, I have a few questions of the plot that I'm hoping you can, uh, answer for me, Steve, some, 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 some maybe they were of the plot. Maybe they talked through some of these, uh, logic things with you and maybe you have a, a an insight that oh. we don't have. <laughs> I was left to, uh, it's up to my own interpretation. Oh, okay. Well, maybe okay. Matt, maybe okay. you've got choice over here and you've got <laughs> love over here. I'm just kidding. Right. Go ahead. Yeah. Right. Um, all right. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe Matt, who's a member council of the wise member, maybe he'll have uh, the answers. Here's, I'll do my best. <laughs> okay. All right. So they, so the, they're in these pods, right? They're batteries. The humans are batteries for the matrix. So then what, what are those creatures that come and unplug them? It seems like that's a part of the process, but like, what would they do with those bodies? Then they flush them down this sort of like drain and they end up in this tub, but then somehow or other our heroes and the Nebuchadnezzar are able to grab them with like a grappling hook and bring them out. So it seems like there was like a process there. So like, what would be the logic of why did the AI have that process for, well, so basically they went in, they, that machine basically comes down and when you become old or if you die or something in the matrix, that machine will come down and, um, uh, oh, I see what you're saying because, uh, what was that machine doing? Yeah. Usually what you would do is, uh, I think it was a hack. So they've hacked a couple of things there. Usually you go down that tube and you become mulch, you get mulched and you become food for everyone else. Hmm. Um, I think in that particular, there, that machine is some kind of maintenance droid that was fed some kind of info that there's been a glitch with this pod. This thing isn't flushing right. So it goes down and man, manually detaches it, right? So as far yeah. as that, that simplistic, uh, you know, you know, insect brain uh, robot is concerned, this is a dead body that's not uh, detaching. Right. So... Uh, it's, 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 do, it's doing its job by unplugging it and then it lets it get flushed down the toilet. And, uh, no, since the freedom fighters know how that works, they're there waiting at, you know, junction, junction 21 or whatever it is for him to wind up in the soup and they grab him before he turns into, uh, you know, slurpy for everyone else. Well, and see, there you did. You did have the answer. How yeah, is that? How incredible that. Is that? Yeah. Okay. I got one more for you. Okay. Hit me. So the other thing I've always been like, how does this, how does this work? Is that, okay. So Neo was the rebirth of an original one, right? And so the original one was the very first human to be awakened by the matrix. And he had these superpowers in the matrix to be able to enact whatever he wanted to with and manifest, whatever he wanted to within that. Um, but okay. So let's say you're the first one who wakes up from the matrix how do you build like Zion and like, how do you build like ships? And like, you're just a dude who just escaped and you're naked. And like, how did, how does that work? 
Well, what you find out in the other two movies is that it's all part of a process. The when they build the, the matrix, the one is just a you know, um, it's a, it's an anomaly, a part of the it's, it's a remaining number of the code. It's just something that uh, that happens that they can't fix. It's a glitch that keeps popping up in their uh, in their software. So what they did is they realized that they uh, that Zion and everything else is facilitated by the machines. They are allowing it all to happen so that the one can manifest, do his thing, give these other humans hope. And then at the end, like there's that scene in uh, at the end of Reloaded where it's the lady of the tiger. He says, you can go through this one door, return to the, so the source, which then uh, sets the, uh, the, pr the programs that the matrix back on its path reboots it right right or you can save your girlfriend or whatever and so he rather than in that moment rather than uh you know because he loves trinity he decides to take a chance and save her rather than sacrifice himself for for everyone so it's kind of like this love is like this uh important theme in the movie so so yes yeah, so like zion is something that happens over and over again and I think what they're kind of talking about is that like, whether you're in Zion or you're in the matrix living out your life, um, they're both kind of systems of control. Mm -hmm. and both in a way, even though one is happening, they're both sort of simulated realities. And if you look at Zion, like in those shots, it's an inverted power plant. It's a giant cylinder and everyone lives in these little houses that go around the ring of the cylinder. That are essentially pods so it's essentially you know if you're in the same place yeah and reality is really sort of something that you know um you can either free yourself or not mm -hmm. so then there's no there's no hope there's no like uh, utopic escape it's all just a perpetual loop well there is but it's up to you you free yourself you know there is no savior uh, beyond yourself you know everyone is doing their part and if you want to and the new one uh i can't really talk about it but uh but interesting stuff like that is going to be you're going to get to see shit i can't even say anything don't say anything don't don't do don't it even, uh, do uh, it no don't do it. it don't do it i'm looking out for you but i'll jump in and of say like yeah I want spider man shows up in <laughs> it's not just three like in this no way home it's right. four right. <laughs> but uh, more I, needs I watched the the whole trilogy like a few months ago, kind of, you know, I don't know, just, I feel like I've been hitting trilogies during the, or whatever, like movie franchises during the pandemic. I'll just watch. I'm just going to be like, I'm going to watch all Lord of the Rings. I'm going to watch, you know, it just seems to be typical. I'm not calling myself original with that, but I watched uh, the matrix and it, and it actually did start to almost make sense to me in a way that it never had before. Like I've always found the second and the third movies like borderline gobbledygook, but I did appreciate the the ideas, like the way they're trying to invert, like and undermine the kind of classic sort of like messiah tropes that they're they're definitely kind of leaning on in the first movie. They're trying to sort of like show them to be themselves, you know, just as you say, kind of like conventions, you know, and that the, within that convention you can't really be an individual. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought that was great. I mean, I just. I feel like now more of my issues with the second or third movie are more to do with how those ideas are communicated to the audience than the ideas themselves, where I think 
prior to that, I was always like, what are these guys on about? But now I'm like, yeah, I get that. Um, but I just wish it, where it says it's both. You know what I mean? Most, most of the times when we see a hero journey or something, you know, we like the, there's no ambiguity. Yeah. Matrix has, you know, there's some ambiguity in there and it's like, uh, it's not completely spelled out for you. It's up to you to sort of realize, but like, you know, there are lines, you know, where Neo, where we see Neo and Zion for the first time and he's got that kid, uh, yeah. at his heels and he says to him, you know, you know, you saved me, Neo, you saved me. He says, you saved yourself. Like that's kind of at the heart of the movie right there. Right. Right. And so I wonder, I, I wonder how much of this they had thought about it in through the first one or after the first one, they kind of had to expand on the mythology. Um, yeah. How much story was there for the sequels in the first one? Was that ever talked about or? You def they definitely had all those ideas for having, you know, I don't think you make, you know. Uh, yeah. You don't make it on, like on your mind. Right. And sort of like, but you, you look at like what they did, like, I think that's where people were so challenged with two and three were was because like the first one is such a perfect hero's journey. By the end of it, you know, you feel awesome. You're with Neo at the end, you know, when the rage music kicks up and, you know, he's on the phone and, you know, I'm going to make some changes. And then he, he blasts off and you're like, oh, cool. He's the one. So now we get, to, and then you go, and then by the end of the second one, you realize that they'd say, oh, he's not the one. Uh, Morpheus is a big dummy. Uh, he's a zealot. And, um, and then by the third one, it's a little, it's, it's a little bit of both. You know? mm -hmm. So, yeah. And then they also kind of undermine the notion that the machines are just one way or another. Like they really make take a long time with that whole scene with like the machine, the program talking about how he loves his kid and, you know, right. why can't a, why can't a machine love how experience love the way a human can feel love or, or whatever, which is, you know, those are all cool ideas to get out you know, into the world. Yeah, it's, it is dense. Yeah. It's dense for sure. Well, I, I like that you're, what you're talking about though, with the interpretation of the last three, I, I'm, we're going to watch part two next week and we're going to try to do the whole trilogy uh, before. I always felt like the sequel though, should have been like almost inception. Like the, they find out that outside the matrix is actually just in another matrix, which is kind of what you're saying. So in a, in a, Right. And it kind of what you're saying is the real world is not real either. Well, they're saying kind of saying yeah. all reality is a construct. Right. You know, and it, it is, I think. And as I've, you know, as I've gotten older, I believe I'm not explaining it anywhere near as well as they could, but I know they don't, right. they don't go on record. Maybe they haven't gone on record anywhere where they spell it all out uh, like, like that. But, um, but yeah, yeah, definitely. That's something I remember. It, it is both. I mean, it's a very conscious decision to have Zion look the way it looks like this big, this big tube, you know, and, uh, yeah. And why do they, why do the machines, yeah. Why can't they just go down there and wipe them out? And really, if you think about it, the machines could get rid of those humans anytime they want. Right. right. They know where they are, but they, they understand that people need to have the illusion of choice. They need to have belief in order to control them. And, you know, it's a symbiotic relationship. There's that other scene in Reloaded with Anthony Zerby and Keanu, and they're talking about the water processing machines or whatever. And he sort of spells it out. That's that's a, a key moment as well in terms of, um, you know, explaining the whole concepts. Yeah. Are there any other um, visual clues that you would know that maybe no one else would pick up on because of 
the way that you designed buildings or even wardrobe or um, ships or anything like that? Hmm, I'm sure there is. Um, like I didn't do a lot of designing on that. Um, like I'm wondering even why the Nebuchadnezzar, it's, I, I love the look of it. It's kind of a cyberpunk look. It's like the, the, you know, the rafters are all open and there's tubes everywhere and, and all of that kind of stuff. All their machinery was very cyberpunk. I love Cause I guess they were sort of like, they described themselves as like pirates. Like they were almost like these hacker pirates. And so the ship is, is sort of like this cyberpunk pirate ship. That's, you know, well, it's also, you think it also looks like that because it's been used over and over again. Mm. You know what I mean? Like those ships, like there have been six Neos before and, uh, you know, the Zion has been been attacked and rebuilt and attacked and rebuilt and they're all using the same stuff to do that, you know? Um, I've often wondered myself, like, you know, is there other technology, you know, outside the, like, what's the wider, if, you know, once you go outside Zion, you know, is there anything else happening anywhere else in that world? You know, is it that, uh, you know, are there any people, uh, anyone in uh, uh, Zion who decided to like pack their bags and leave and decided, thought it was all bull, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, but, you know, who knows? Went back up to the surface and lives like in a secret society in Dubai or something like that. And like, a yeah, or like, yes, somewhere else, there's just some other humans that are, you know, maybe there's some other technology out there that uh, the people in Zion aren't privy to but um yeah the new movies are gonna have all kinds of uh cool stuff where they expand on a lot of that stuff so um I think people will find it interesting especially you guys since you're doing the, the deep dive and uh you know really t- I think the movie benefits from trying to uh absorb it you know Absolutely. Well, can't, can't wait. Um, you know, I have, I have tempered expectations. I've learned if I love the trailer, it doesn't mean that I'm going to love the movie. So I'm kind of trying to keep an even keel about things, but, um, definitely looking looking forward to it for sure. One thing I appreciate and I expect to be the case with the movie is I, and I really appreciate this more and more about the whole matrix trilogy as time passes is that and I think we've kind of been touching on it just in the previous discussion that we had is that I feel like the matrix is pretty good vibes and like there aren't too many and genuinely so. And I think they're like, it are, it's hard to find big mainstream filmmaking. That's actually quite, you can actually kind of get behind. Like, I feel like Marvel movies are likable and I feel like they have their moments of connection and so on. But I think by and large, they're not trying to do that much. And I think that's kind of part, of their whole thing is they thought they don't swing too far for the fences for in terms of in, well, in that regard. Not, yeah. They're not like singular visions of, 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 uh, you know, two yeah. you were, I think that's what the matrix has, you know, for, uh, no matter what you think of it, it, you know, it's, it's pretty uncompromising. They had a ton of power, uh, after the success of the first movie. And, um, so those movies are exactly like they wanted, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I, and I feel like things in like the the feminism, I think that's that's per, the way women are portrayed in the Matrix movies is like still some of the best. Like it's like legit, you know, it's not cheesy kind of like, I don't know, like strategic, let's make women look cool and powerful, which I feel like you get in a lot of stuff. I think it's like, it's very, you know, it's very honestly done. It's like, it's cool. It's like, you know, anyway, I feel like it's very progressive, like they're progressive. And I don't feel like there's a lot of really progressive filmmaking at that scale, you know? 
especially in those days. And also, uh, you know, yeah. people of co color. I mean, they have more uh, people of color in those movies than, uh, you know, any. Yeah. There's usually some, most science fiction, uh, you know, future stuff in, in the 90s and early 2000s are pretty much depicted as uh, pretty white. Yeah, Wars, as totally. As you can get. Yeah. And, you know, Zion is a pretty, like, I mean, if these are the last people on Earth, it's pretty clear, uh, you know, um, accurate, accurate cross-section of, like, the people who actually live on the planet, not just yeah. in America. Totally. And it doesn't feel deliberate. Like, it doesn't feel like they're trying to be politically correct, which I feel like is also awesome. Like, it feels just like that's what they're doing, you know? And I feel like that's, yeah, anyway, it doesn't feel cynical. You know, it's pretty thoughtful sci-fi, even if everyone yeah. doesn't necessarily uh, appreciate it. I mean, uh, you know, they're not, never, they never phone anything in for sure. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, especially if they, I guess, like it was like required reading for all the actors to read like the Baudrillard book, Simulacrum and, okay. you know, Simulation and Simulacrum or whatever it is, Simula and Second. It's they pretty, that's that, pretty heady that, stuff. They got, I, I was asked to read storyboarding for dummies. <laughs> I, couldn't. <laughs> nice. I couldn't. And scene. Nice. Yeah, good job. Uh. So will you, will you be down for the premiere uh, in LA for Matrix 4? Uh, have you ever seen that movie, The Party? <laughs> I, uh, Peter Sellers movie? Invitation. I did get one, uh, so I don't know what happened. So I'm going to go, and hopefully they'll let me in to see. Yeah, it. that's right. awesome, cool. man. Stoked you know, to see your work. Kenny and I haven't seen each other in, like, ages. So it'll be great to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot the beer, breathe, have a Heineken, the official beer of the uh, trilogy. <laughs> Nice. You guys remember that? There was a no. Heineken one they was uh was a sponsorship? It's still a Warner Brothers movie, so there has to be some product placement. So there was uh in the olden days they did uh one of the jobs I got uh off the Matrix was for this commercial, this Heineken Matrix commercial, where this girl's in the bar serving beer, Heineken obviously, and uh she's dressed like Trinity, and uh some guy comes up and smacks her right in the ass. <laughs> She throws up, you know, throws her, uh, you know, um, you know, the thing that you hold the beer on. Sorry, guys. It's You're talking about a tray? Are you describing a tray, tray at this point? <laughs> <laughs> a, tray, a tray up in the air. And uh, then she does the whole Trinity move and, and kicks the guy across the room. And he's like, wow. Nice. I want to look that up. I bet that's on the YouTubes. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah. Oh, nice. I wish it's more. Um, well, well, uh, well, this was awesome, uh, Steve. Thanks so much for uh, for coming. Do you have any other last questions, uh, Matt, or anything? No, I just want to say thanks. It's been great to hear the story in, in more detail. And uh, yeah, what a cool experience uh, that must have been. And kind of a couple comments. Oh, please, yes. Uh, there'll, there'll be a feedback form as well. You can. I do feel that since he's joined the High Council, he's really changed. <laughs> <laughs> Straight to his head. Yeah. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. He's yeah, dressed like inevitable. members from the Zion High Council, which yeah, I appreciate. Totally. Yeah. You will join the High Council one day too, Steve, and then you'll get your right. pain Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm on the High Council right now. Yeah, you are. Well, I hope I was co coherent. More than definitely. Absolutely. Got yeah, for a man who got up at three, you were like, oh, God, yeah. Einstein. It was a little so. loose coming out here.
Uh, well, good job. Thank you. Appreciate yeah, it. Absolutely. Um, so, so if people wanted to, uh, you know, give you their appreciation for the little trivia tidbits that you've just provided, where can they reach out? Uh, I'm on Instagram. Uh, mostly I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook, but I kind of just do, you know, I don't do Facebook so much just because, you know, I put something on there and then my mother-in-law shows up with little heart emojis and stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, what do you, yeah, so, and you've got books out oh, right well, now, yeah, right? Last, you got, I'm going to promote comic books uh, uh, from Image Comics. I've got a book called uh, Maestros, uh, Eisner Nominated, and my last book that just came out called Post Americana, which is kind of a grindhouse futuristic, um, apocalyptic, you know, you know, three generations after the collapse of America, uh, bloodthirsty uh, action adventure comic. Cool. Yeah. And you're writing those too, obviously, correct? So you're not just, yeah, you're not, you ain't wow. just a guy who can draw a stick man. Yeah. That's so, right. yeah. So if you're Way tired of all the uh, intellectual ideas of the Matrix, <laughs> your brain arrest, <laughs> check, check out my work. <laughs> that's amazing we didn't even get to touch on all your all your writing stuff that's uh, that's pretty crazy a man of many talents um cool. well, well, he's always gonna we'll try to get him back you know we'll dangle the the council membership the resurrections you. review yeah there you go hey yeah. Yeah. like steve why did uh, what happened in this scene uh, <laughs> exactly you almost had me there for a second with that robot. I was like, oh shit. What a robot. Yeah. You had all you had all the answers. You had all the answers. Pretty amazing. Um, cool. Well, yeah, thank you so much. Uh and uh thank you, Matt, as well. Um, and so uh, do where do should people reach out for you? Uh, after you know, if they don't have access to the Council of the Wise, because really that's in the ivory tower in the metaverse, uh, in the real world. Um, I am not really active on the socials right now, but, and I should be, but, um, I mean, you can go to our website, which is inscapestudios.com, like inscape instead of escapestudios.com. And there's a contact us and you can say hi. And, uh, we're finishing up a VR game and I'll, I'll hopefully there'll be more to share there soon, but yeah, I'm a little bit of a, bit of a dollar on that front at the moment. Matt's pay site. Right. But but what Matt's what Matt's not saying though is that he's literally right now building the AI that will become the oh, ones that take over the world and yeah. build the matrix. So if you want to know really, you know, what's <laughs> Matt's yeah. up to, he's the evil mastermind behind the yeah. AI. That yeah. sounds like something Matt would do. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. Just a little too nice. Yeah. That's why we want him on the council. Keep your, you know, yeah. keep him in check. Make sure yeah. that this AI doesn't you get be, You want to be a part of that first generation of Zion, right? Like, there you go. Wipe off the wipe out the rest of the humans. <laughs> exactly. Well, no comment. Um, and yeah, yeah. Anyway, we, great to talk to you guys. This was fun. Absolutely. Well, uh, thank you for teleporting into this world cast of Simulation Nation. Whether you're with us uh, 
not this time in virtual reality. Next time we're going to get Steve in virtual reality, listening to the podcast on Spotify or Apple podcast or watching a glorious Technicolor on YouTube. Um, and remember to subscribe to our Instagram at the simulation nation, Twitter at sim nation VR and our discord server. Then join us next time as we continue the matrix month with our review of the matrix reloaded until then stay plugged my friends.